hello, this is True Crime Nightmare. This is episode 28 of this podcast. It was known in England as the Sower Murders at the time. It involved the murder of two 10-year-old girls in August of 2002. Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were best friends. They attended the same primary school and they were would often spend time together outside of school. Holly Wells was a fair-haired girl. She was born on the 4th of October of 1991. Jessica Chapman had darker hair. She was born on the 1st of September of 1991. Soham is a, a small town in Cambridgeshire in England. Holly Wells lived in Soham with her mum and dad, Nicola and Kevin, and her older brother, Oliver. Holly was 10 years old and Oliver was 12 years old when the tragic events happened in 2002. Jessica Chapman also lived in Soham. She lived with her mum and dad, Sharon and Leslie, and her two older sisters, Rebecca and Alison. Jessica was 10 years old at the time of her death in 2002. Rebecca was 16 years old and Alison was 14 years old at the time. On the 4th of August 2002, it was the summer holidays in England at the time, which would mean a long break of reasonably good weather and endless days playing with your friends, if you were a child anyway. Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were best friends and had known each other for a few years. They attended the same school, St Andrews Primary School in Soham. On the 4th of August 2002, Jessica was visiting Holly at Holly's house. The Chapman family had just returned from a two-week holiday. They had been to the Spanish island of Menorca. Jessica Chapman and Holly Wells had both known, had both been keen to meet up with each other. Holly had not been away on holiday, but she had been enjoying the school holidays nonetheless. She spent days playing with some of her friends. A good friend of Holly's, Natalie Parr, had stayed over at the Wells' house the night before on the 3rd of August 2002. Both girls had enjoyed a midnight feast of sweets and other treats. Jessica Chapman lived at Brook Street in Soham and Holly Wells lived in nearby Red House Gardens. Jessica had bought Holly a necklace back from her recent holiday abroad and was keen to give it to her. Jessica and Holly, along with Natalie Parr, played computer games and also listened to some music together at Holly's house. Natalie went home in the afternoon. Jessica stayed at Holly's house late, and later in the afternoon, both girls changed into Manchester United football shirts, one of which belonged to Holly and the other one belonged to Holly's brother, Oliver. A photograph was taken at about 5.30pm of the two girls wearing the football shirts, Holly's mother took the photo. The Wells family and Jessica, along with some other house guests, had some dinner. After dinner, Holly and Jessica went back upstairs to Holly's bedroom to play some more computer games. At about 6.15pm, both girls left the house without letting anybody know. They had wanted to go and get some sweets from the local leisure centre. The leisure centre had vending machines, which contained sweets and drinks and other snacks. On the way home, back to Holly's house, they walked past the home of a local resident. His name was Ian Huntley and he was a caretaker at the local school. 
the secondary school in Soham. What happened next is uncertain, but both girls would end up being murdered by Ian Huntley. It has been claimed that Ian Huntley lured them both into his home by telling them that his girlfriend, Maxine Carr, who had been a teaching assistant in Holly and Jessica's class at school, was inside the home. It would be discovered later that Maxine Carr was not inside the home at all. She was visiting her mother in Grimsby at the time. Maxine and Ian were both originally from Grimsby, and Grimsby is about 100 miles away from Soham. It is not known exactly what happened next once Ian Huntley had managed to get both of the 10-year-old girls into his home, but both girls would end up dead at the hands of Ian Huntley. The two girls had left Holly's home just after 6.15pm. They had been captured on many of the town's CCTV cameras along the way. The CCTV cameras had captured Holly and Jessica. They were captured entering the leisure centre as well. And so um, the duty manager let them in through the main door. The girls then went along to the vending machines to, to buy some sweets, which is what is um, considered to be the plan that they'd had all along. Jessica Chapman's mobile phone was switched off at 6.46pm that same day. At 8 o'clock that evening, Nic- Nicola Wells, Holly's mother, went along to her daughter's bedroom. The guests were leaving and she wanted the girls to come downstairs to say say goodbye to them. Both, But both girls were missing. The family checked the house and the gardens but could not find any sign of Holly or Jessica. Frantic phone calls were made to various people that the Wells family thought the girls could have been with but there, had, there was no news from anybody. Nobody had actually seen them. At 8.30pm, Nicola Wells phoned Jessica Chapman's parents to to see if for some reason the girls had gone there. But neither Sharon or Leslie Chapman had any idea of where the girls could be. Both sets of parents and members of their extended family frantically went out on the streets of Soham, desperately trying to find Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. No sign of the girls was found, so the police were called at 9.55pm and both Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were reported missing. The police immediately launched an investigation and a manhunt was soon underway to try and find the missing girls. Over 400 officers were assigned to the investigation or were working hard to try and find Holly and Jessica. Extensive house-to-house inquiries were also carried out. The local area was searched thoroughly. Hundreds of local people kindly volunteers in the search for the missing children. The disappearance of two 10-year-old girls, schoolgirls, made the headlines in all of the news channels as well as all of the national and local newspapers, as you can imagine. The whole country was aware of the two missing girls. The image that was used mainly was the last picture that was actually taken of the girls, which showed Holly and Jessica wearing the red Manchester United football tops. David Beckham went on national television to appeal for the safe return of the two girls. No one knew what had happened, but they simply had they simply run away for some reason, which would have been bad enough, but at least it would give some hope to the parents that they would actually be found safe and well. 
there was some hope that after a few days of maybe sleeping rough without food, it would be enough for them to make contact with their parents. Their families did not believe that they would run away, but sometimes you just never know. It was in the middle of summer, so the weather would have been on their side if they had simply decided for some reason to go off somewhere without telling anyone. There were many alleged sightings of the girls over the next few days, and although probably from well-meaning individuals, they would all turn out to be false. Both sets of parents agreed that neither girl would likely go off with someone that they did not know. They were both known to be wary of strangers. Also, their head teacher from St Andrew's Primary School in Soham had highlighted the dangers of strangers and highlighted problems with young children and warned them not to, to go off with them. The head teacher of the school that the girls attended had told reporters that, quote, the possible danger from strangers is something we have impressed upon the children from an early age, unquote. The police quickly felt that the girls had been kidnapped and began interviewing all known sex offenders in the local area. All of them were ruled out as possible suspects in the disappearance of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. The police also checked any computers that either girl had had access to, just in case it held any information as to the likely whereabouts. Had the children arranged to meet someone that the parents were not aware of? They were particularly interested in any chat room activity. They didn't find anything that could be linked to the disappearance, though. On the 8th of August 2002, four days after the girls had gone missing, CCTV footage came to light of both girls. The footage was from the camera set up by the local leisure centre in Soham. Holly and Jessica had gone there to, to buy some sweets from the vending machines. The footage showed the girls coming, arriving at the leisure centre at about 6.28pm on the 4th of August 2002. This is the time shortly after it is thought that they had left Holly's house. The cameras also picked them up leaving the centre a short while later. A reconstruction of the girls' movements was shown on national TV on the 10th of August 2002 to try and get any more information and also if there's any more possible sightings that could come in from um, local residents or people just passing through Soham at the time. Both sets of parents took part in an interview on ITV's current affairs programme, which was called Tonight. The programme was hosted by Colin Baker. The interview was broadcast on the 12th of August 2002, and it was hoped that more information would come in as a result of the interview going out. Many family members of both Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman appealed via the media for the safe return of the children, after all of the appeals and the interviews, more than 2,000 people telephoned the hotline and several tips came into the police instant room. Many of the residents of the local communities, including many from Soham itself, held a candlelight, candlelight vigil on the 7th of August to put Holly and Jessica in people's thoughts and prayers. Some of the sightings and tips that came in included one from a local man called Mark Tuck. Mark told police officers that he had seen the girls at about 6.30pm. 
the evening that they had gone missing. It was just after they had been picked up on the CCTV footage from the leisure centre at Soham. He had noticed them due to their matching football shirts. He had apparently turned to his wife and said, quote, look, there, there's two little Beckhams over there, unquote. David Beckham was part of the Manchester United Football Club and wore the number seven on his shirt, which was the same as the girls were wearing. Another local resident had also seen them, a lady called Karen Good Greenwood. She had noticed that they were walking arm in arm together. She had seen them at College Road in Soham and it was roughly two minutes after the previous sighting. The police also received reports of a white van that had been seen in the area at about the same time as the girls had gone missing. The police managed to track down the van. They located it at a caravan park on the 7th of August. No evidence was found in the van linking it to the disappearances of Holly and Jessica. On the 12th of August, the police launched a media appeal to try and trace the driver of a four-door dark green saloon car. A report had come in from a member of the public. The person had reported to the police that they had seen a man struggling with two young girls. The man had been driving the dark green car. The report had come in from a local taxi driver. The man had supposedly seen the two girls in the car with the man and it had looked like a struggle had been taking place in the car. The car had been heading out of Soham and going towards Newmarket. He had apparently witnessed this on the 12th of August. This sighting would ultimately be disproved by the police. However, the police were building a case against another man, a local man named Ian Huntley. He was local to the area. He was originally from Grimsby. A jogger also reported to the police what looked like two fresh mounds of earth that had fresh disturbances around the area. This was reported and the police investigated it. This was reported to have been discovered at a place called Warren Hill, just outside Newmarket. Newmarket is only about eight miles away from Soham. However, the mounds of earth turned out to be badger sets after all. Another man who came forward to the police with information was Ian Huntley. Ian Huntley was at the time of Holly and Jessica's disappearances, 28 years old. He was the senior caretaker at the local secondary school in Soham. He was in a property that was attached to the school. The property was let to Ian Huntley as part of his job. Ian Huntley told the police that he had seen both Holly Wells and Jessica Jessica Chapman the evening that they had gone missing which was Sunday the 4th of August 2002. He told the investigators working on the case that he had had a brief conversation with the girls on his doorstep. According to Ian Huntley the girls had stopped to ask after Maxine Carr, Ian's girlfriend who also lived at the house. Afterwards, he said that the girls were walked along College Street heading in the direction of a bridge leading towards Clay Street in Soham. It has since been reported that the police officers that spoke to Ian Huntley at that time were suspicious of his account of what he said had actually happened. His house was searched, but only by one officer. This took place on the 5th of August, one day after Holly and Jessica had gone missing. No evidence was found at the house at this time that could justify any further questioning of Ian Huntley by the Suffolk Police. 
A few observations were made by the officer who had looked through the house. There was washing out on the line despite the fact that it was raining. The dining room appeared to have been extensively cleaned and fairly recently. Ian Huntley had told the officer that he had thoroughly cleaned the dining room because there had recently been a water leak which had affected the dining room. The police officer did report to his colleagues later that he was not convinced by Ian's claims and that he was suspicious about his apparent agitated demeanour. He would therefore remain a strong suspect in the case. The next day, which was the 6th of August, Ian Huntley drove from Soham to Grimsby to collect his girlfriend Maxine Carr. Maxine had been staying at her mother's for a few days. A neighbour of Maxine Carr's mother later told the police that she had witnessed both Ian and Maxine standing at the boot of the car and that the boot had been open at the time, the witness said that Ian Huntley looked pale and that he appeared to be shaking. He had apparently looked into the boot and that Maxine had stood alongside him with her head dropped. She was looking down and she appeared to be crying. It was also claimed by this potential witness that as soon as Ian Huntley noticed the neighbour looking at them, he abruptly closed the boot. In the town of Soham, during the investigation's early days, there was a huge media presence, as you can imagine. Many of the local residents gave interviews to the many journalists camped out, out in Soham at the time. Ian Huntley would also speak to the journalists that were assembled. He spoke to spoke of his shock and the shock of the local community in general. He also mentioned his dismay at being the last known person to have seen and spoken to Holly and Jessica. Jeremy Thompson, who worked for Sky News, he was a journalist and a presenter for the news outlet, spoke to Ian Huntley during the second week of the investigation. Ian Huntley was captured on camera saying that he was holding out hope that the girls would be found safe and well. Ian Huntley had also actively taken part in searches for Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. It was felt by many that at the time that Ian Huntley was also trying to ingratiate himself to, to the police officers working on the missing persons case. He is said to have regularly asked them questions about how the investigation was going and if they had any new leads at all. He is also said to have asked one police officer how long DNA evidence could survive before deteriorating. One police officer noticed three scratches on Ian Huntley's jaw area. Each scratch was approximately three centimetres long. Ian Huntley claimed that his dog had scratched him a few days earlier. Ian Huntley's girlfriend, Maxine Carr, was also interviewed by the press on camera. She took part in a live broadcast during the second week of the investigation. In this live interview, Maxine Carr corroborated Ian Huntley's claims that he had spoken to Holly and Jessica on the doorstep of the house that Ian and herself lived in. She also said, quote, I only wish we had asked them where they were going. If only we knew then what we know now then we could have stopped them or done something about it, unquote. When Maxine was asked about the individual personalities of each girl, she described Holly Wells as being, 
quote, quite feminine. She added that Jessica Chapman was, quote, more of a tomboy, unquote. Maxine Carr also displayed to the camera a thank you card that Holly Wells had given her at the on the last day of the school year. Maxine made a mistake during this interview with the news journalist because she referred to Holly Wells in the past tense. She had stated, quote, she was just lovely, really lovely, unquote. Shortly after this interview, Ian Huntley was showing signs of stress. He began losing weight and he was also displaying signs of insomnia. He even said to one officer, quote, you think I've done it, unquote. And he went on to say, quote, I was the last person to see them, unquote. He then be- apparently began crying. Ian Huntley's erratic and distressed behaviour led to him being prescribed antidepressants on the 13th of August 2002. On the 16th of August, 12 days after Holly and Jessica had last been seen, Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr were questioned by the police. Both were questioned at length for over seven hours. Both of them gave formal statements to the police. They were put up in another house in the nearby village of Histon. The police had by now started to get quite a lot of information coming into the incident room, mainly regarding Ian Huntley. A lot of the information that was coming in was from people who had known him when he lived in Grimsby. Both Ian and Maxine were originally from Grimsby. Because he had been shown on TV giving press interviews, some people began to suspect that he had had something to do with the disappearances of the two ten-year-olds due to his manner and some people just felt uneasy with the, the way he was talking to the journalists. Some of the people who contacted the police reported that Ian had previously been accused of rape. This had apparently happened a few years before when he was still living in Grimsby. Other people who had watched the uh, many press interviews with Maxine Carr noted that despite her claims to, to have been with her boyfriend Ian Huntley on the evening that the girls had stopped by the house, they had in fact seen Maxine Carr out in Grimsby socialising at that exact time. That same day when all of the new information came in and with both Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr away from the school property and also away from the house that they rented, they began the a detailed search of the property and the grounds, the school grounds. The police searched five college close and the secondary school grounds that Ian Huntley worked at. The couple were by now under police surveillance as well. The police would go on to find many items of potential evidence in both places and on the school grounds they found items of clothing that the girls had been wearing including the football shirts. The football shirts had at some point been set on fire. They were badly charred when the police found them. The shirts had been found in a bin Fibres on the charred clothing matched samples taken from Ian's body and from his clothes that he had worn on the day Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman had vanished. His fingerprints were found on the actual bin where the charred clothing had been found as well. 
Ian Huntley's car was also searched. Police discovered that both the car as well as the house had been subjected to heavy duty cleaning. Despite the efforts to try and destroy evidence, evidence was found. Traces of brick, dust, chalk and concrete were found in the vehicle that would eventually be linked to Holly and Jessica. A cover from one of the seats at the back of the car was also missing. The lining of the boot of the car had also been re- recently been removed and had been replaced with some household carpet. The police felt that a lot of cleaning up as well as covering up had been carried out to try and destroy evidence. Eventually, the news that the families and friends of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman had been dreading came in. Two bodies had been discovered. A 48-year-old man who had been employed as a gamekeeper made the tragic discovery. Keith Pryor discovered the bodies of both girls lying side by side in a five foot deep ditch close to the fence of an airbase at RAF Lake and Heath in Suffolk. This location is more than 10 miles east of Soham where both girls had lived and had last been seen alive. The bodies were already in an advanced state of decomposition and both bodies had been set on fire at some point, possibly in an attempt to try and destroy any evidence by the killer. The sad discovery was made on the 17th of August of 2002, 13 days after the last known sightings of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. Now that the police investigating the now probable murders of both Holly and Jessica, and the fact that this their clothing had also been discovered on school property, where Ian Huntley was caretaker, brought the case together, really. Both suspects were arrested on suspicion of the abduction and murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. The arrest took place on the 17th of August. During initial questioning, Ian Huntley refused to answer any of the questions that were put to him. It was largely felt by the police that he was being deliberately evasive. They also noted that he appeared confused and emotionally detached from what was happening. The police officer also officers also began to wonder about his mental health and suspected that he was trying to feign some of the symptoms of mental illness. However, the police now had no option but to refer Ian Huntley to a mental health facility so that he could undergo extensive psychological evaluation from healthcare professionals trained in this field. Maxine Carr, on the other hand, confessed to detectives that she had in fact lied about her whereabouts and that she had given Ian Huntley a false alibi for the time that Holly and Jessica had gone missing. Maxine Carr told the police that Ian had told her that he had invited both girls into the house because one of them had had a nosebleed and he had wanted to help try and stop the bleeding. Apparently he had um, insisted to her that the girls had both left the house alive and unharmed. The reason Ian had wanted Maxine to give him an alibi, according to Maxine, was due to the fact that he had previously been falsely accused of attacking a woman in the past in Grimsby and that he was worried that, once again, he would be blamed for something that he did not do. Because of this, Maxine had reluctantly agreed to concoct a false story which 
would try to help Ian Huntley, according to her. A public memorial service was held at the end of August 2002. It was held at Ely Cathedral to remember and celebrate the lives of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman. 2,000 people, including classmates of Holly and Jessica, as well as teachers and the six family liaison officers who had provided 24-hour support to both families throughout the ordeal, attended the service. A formal inquest was held into the children's deaths. It was held at Shire Hall in Cambridge on the 23rd of August 2002. The coroner, David Morris, testified that the bodies of both girls were extremely decomposed due to the warm weather. He also stated that an exact cause of death in regards to Holly Wells and or Jessica Chapman could not be determined. The coroner did say that he felt that the most likely cause of death was asphyxiation in both cases. He also stated that both girls had died at a different location to where their bodies were found. The coroner also stated that both bodies had been moved to the site where they were eventually discovered by the gamekeeper within 24 hours of their deaths. On the 20th of August 2002, Ian Huntley was charged with two counts of murder in relation to Hollywell's Jessica Chapman. He was detained at Rampton Secure Hospital, where he was already undergoing observations in regards to his mental health. Maxine Carr was charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice. On the later date of the 17th of January 2003, Maxine Carr was also charged with two counts of assisting an offender. Maxine Carr was held at Holloway Prison in London on remand prior to the trial. She kept in touch with Ian Huntley via letters for a while before she eventually broke off all contact with him in the late 2002. Ian Huntley was held under the Mental Health Act, Section 48, for almost two months at Rampton Secure Hospital, which is in Nottinghamshire in England. He went under some very detailed tests and his mental health was extensively assessed by Dr Christopher Clark, who was a consultant forensic psychiatrist. Dr Clark concluded that although Ian Huntley was indeed psychopathic, he did not actually suffer from any major mental or psychotic illness which would leave him unfit to stand trial on the murder charges. On the 8th of October of 2002, Ian Huntley was deemed fit to stand trial in the connection with the murders of Jessica Chapman and Holly Wells. Ian Huntley was subsequently transferred from the secure hospital to his new home, which was Woodhill Prison in Milton Keynes in England. On the 9th of June 2003, with the murder trial just around the corner, Ian Huntley tried to commit suicide. He had stockpiled over 25 antidepressants that he was prescribed. He had taken all 25 of the tablets in one go. However, he was discovered in time and after recovering in ho- receiving hospital treatment and recovering, he was taken back to his prison cell after two days of treatment and recovery. Ian Huntley was later transferred to Belmarsh Prison to await his murder trial. The double murder of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman shook the nation. The trial opened at the Old Bailey in London on the 5th of November 2003. The judge was Justice Alan Moses. Ian Huntley pleaded not guilty to the two counts of murder that he had been charged with. A lot of evidence was 
presented by the prosecution, including the fact that mobile phone records for the time of the murders proved that Maxine Carr was in Grimsby and not, as both Ian and Maxine claimed, at the house when the girls stopped outside on the 4th of August 2002. The prosecution also stated that the location of the site where both bodies were discovered was known by Ian Huntley and that he knew that the bodies, or he thought he knew, would not, they would not be discovered. The court heard that no evidence of sexual assault could be determined, but that it was felt that this is why the girls were lured inside Ian Huntley's house. It was said that it appeared to have been an opportunity that suddenly presented itself that day. Ian Huntley continued to claim his innocence but he did say that both Holly and Jessica had died accidentally and that he had actually been trying to help them at the house at the time. Prosecution said, however, that, quote, 10-year-old girls don't just drop dead, unquote. Luckily, there was enough forensic evidence to tie Ian Huntley to both murders. Evidence which included fibres and DNA had been found in the house that the defendant had been living in at the time. Fibre evidence had also been found in Ian Huntley's car that linked him to the girls. Ian Huntley took the stand in his own defence and continued to maintain that although both Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman did enter his house, they died by accident. He went on to tell the court that both Holly and Jessica, along with himself, went into the bathroom to try and stop the nosebleed that Holly had been suffering with. He said that there was already water in the bath because he had been just about to give his dog a bath. Ian Huntley then went on to describe his version of events. He said that he had slipped and accidentally knocked Holly into the bath and that she had drowned. He went on to say that he panicked and that Jessica started screaming and saying that he had pushed Holly. He reacted to this by accidentally suffocating Jessica whilst trying to get her to stop screaming. When asked why he had not tried to get help for the two girls, he replied that he thought people would not believe his story about what had happened. Ian Huntley had also been accused of trying to feign insanity after he had been arrested. He denied this and said that the children's deaths had temporarily erased his memory and that when he was questioned by the police, he was very stressed out. Maxine Carr was in court as well to try, to try and defend her actions. She was standing trial alongside her former boyfriend, Ian Huntley. She also testified in her own defence. She was questioned about her return to Soham on the 6th of August 2002. After establishing that she had indeed lied about being in Soham when the girls went missing, Maxine Carr testified that she had noticed that their bedding had been changed and that there was evidence of some cleaning having been carried out in the home that she shared with Ian Huntley. Ian was not known ordinarily to carry out domestic chores, preferring to leave them for Maxine to do. That is why she had noticed. She also noticed a crack in the enamel on the bathtub which had not been there before. When questioned further by the prosecution on the efforts that she had gone to to try and mislead both the police and also the media 
to try and divert any suspicion away from Ian. She said that she had only lied to try and protect him. She went on to claim that she, at the time, thought he was innocent and that had she known of Ian's involvement in the deaths of Holly and Jessica, she would not have lied to protect him. Ian Huntley was sentenced to a minimum prison sentence of 40 years after being found guilty of both murders. Maxine Carr was sentenced to three and a half years in prison after being found guilty of perverting the course of justice. Ian Huntley is still in prison serving his lengthy sentence. Upon her release from prison, Maxine Carr was given a new identity. She had also tried to change her appearance. She also had access to a secret location with support from the police. Maxine Carr was released from prison in May 2004 after having only served one year and nine months of her three and a half year sentence. Ian Huntley is reported to regularly try and play the system from within prison. He knows there is little to no chance of him being released for many years, but that does not stop him from trying. He also knows his rights and will get everything that he knows he is entitled to in prison in an effort to make life that much easier for himself. As is typical, a lot more information was discovered about Ian Huntley after he had been put away for the murders. Ian Huntley had previously been questioned on many occasions about his relationships with underage girls and it was discovered that between 1992 and 2002 he had committed many acts of not only physical violence but also sexual violence against women and children. He had largely managed to go unpunished though. His youngest known rape victim was a 12-year-old girl. He had also attempted to rape an 11-year-old girl as well. Although a lot of these offences were reported, nothing seemed to come of it and he was able to just carry on. Ian Huntley was born on the 31st of January of 1974 in Grimsby, Lincolnshire in England. He attended Healing Comprehensive School. He had a brother called Wayne and they both lived with their parents. Ian Huntley was known by those who knew him when he was growing up as a timid child and he was often considered a a bit of a mother's boy by some people. He was always trying to get the attention of his mother apparently and would often throw tantrums. His father was considered quite stern. Ian was considered a, a bit of a loner at school and was often a target of the school bullies. When Ian Huntley left school in 1990, he achieved five GCSEs. He decided not to continue in any formal form of education after finishing secondary school. Between 1990 and 1996, Ian Huntley had a succession of jobs, often not staying in one job for any real length of time before leaving one job and just getting another one to tide him over. In June 1994, Ian had begun dating a local woman called Claire Evans. She was 18 years old at the time. The couple married pretty quickly. They got married at Grimsby Registry Office on the 28th of January of 1995. The marriage did not last and Claire left Ian after about a week after she claimed he had beaten her so extensively she had suffered a miscarriage as a result. Claire went on to have a relationship with Ian Huntley's brother Wayne, who was a few years younger than Ian. Claire and Wayne eventually got married. 
Between 1995 and 1996, Ian would go on to have many sexual relationships with teenage girls, all of whom were under the legal age of consent, which is 16 in England. Three of the girls were 15 at the time and one was only 13 years old. One of the girls would become pregnant by Ian Huntley and she gave birth to a daughter in 1998. Despite being reported to the police by many concerned people on at least three separate occasions, Ian Huntley was never charged with any offences in relation to having sex with underage girls. Some of the girls refused to talk and would decline any offers of support. It has been alleged anyway. In April 1998, Ian Huntley was actually arrested on suspicion of rape. The alleged victim was 18 years old at the time. But because there was not enough evidence, he was not formally charged with this offence. More complaints would come in regarding Ian Huntley, but nothing seemed to stick somehow. By 2001, Ian Huntley's activity and behaviour with young girls had been reported to Humberside Police on 10 separate occasions, as well as to social services on five separate occasions. Not much appears to have been done though, and he was just left to do what he wanted, it would seem. In February of 1999, Ian Huntley met Maxine Carr, who was 22 years old at the time. The pair met in a nightclub in Grimsby. The relationship was not without its problems. Maxine alleged that on many occasions Ian Huntley was violent towards her. By 2001, Ian Huntley, who had lost touch with his family over the years, had met up once again with his father. His father worked as a caretaker for a local school in Littleport, which was near Soham in Cambridgeshire. Ian would often visit him and after a while Ian Huntley decided that he would also like a job as a school caretaker. A vacancy at the nearby Soham College soon came up and he promptly applied for it. He was successful and was taken on as a senior caretaker with four staff working with him. During the aftermath of the so-called Soham murders, questions were raised as to how a man with such a bad track record against young children managed to find work as a caretaker at a secondary school in England. Ian Huntley's name had been checked as well as his criminal record just like all staff had to do before starting work in a school but um, at the time cautions and charges that were dropped did not show up in any checks made with the police they do now they've tightened up on everything but at that time uh, Ian Huntley's name didn't come up because although he'd been cautioned he'd been spoken to about alleged rapes and uh, sexual activity with underage children it had not come up in any checks at all um, so he actually got through on that and also there's been suggestion that he actually had used another name, Ian Nixon, but how true that is, I couldn't really find any way to corroborate that, but they said he used Ian Nixon instead of Ian Huntley, so maybe that was the only name he gave, I don't know, but anyway, he managed to get through, which is quite something when you consider the suspicions about him at the time, even before any of this had happened. A lot more has now been put in place to safeguard vulnerable people, thank goodness. Any checks 
that are now made in regards to working or even sharing time with vulnerable people will show any cautions as well as actual convictions, obviously. There had also been some confusion because at some point the name changed and it's believed that Nixon had been his mother's maiden name and he sometimes would use it, but who knows. Maxine Carr was actually born Maxine Cap. She legally changed her name to Carr at some point years before the murders took place. She was born on the 16th of February of 1977. She, like Ian Huntley, was born in Grimsby in England. Maxine had his sister and they both lived with their parents whilst growing up. Her parents' marriage was not a particularly happy one. Maxine's mother would end up leave, leaving Maxine's father. Uh, well, actually, she locked him out of the house following a heated argument, apparently. This happened in 1979. Her father did not keep in very good contact with either of his daughters. He also failed to support the family financially. Maxine and her sister, Haley were raised mainly by their mother and also by their grandparents. At school, many considered Maxine to be quite timid. She was known to be insecure and she really worried about her appearance, apparently. It has also been reported that she was known to sometimes self-harm as well. It has also been said that she would go on to suffer from an eating disorder as well. In 1993, Maxine Carr left school without obtaining any qualifications at all. She took a job in a local fish factory for a while to make ends meet. Maxine did go back to college, however. She studied for general care and um, obtained a diploma in 1996. In September of 2001, after being involved with Ian Huntley for a few years, the couple moved into the address in Soham after Ian had got the job as a caretaker. The following year, Maxine began working at the primary school in Soham. She worked in the year five class, which Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were in. When a permanent position later came up at the school, she applied for it but did not get it, which is said to have upset her. This tragic case could, in my opinion, so easily have been avoided. If proper checks had been made on Ian Huntley, the school would have known about concerns with his involvement with underage girls. He would not have moved to Soham in all probability. Also, if he had been dealt with properly when he was in known relationships with underage girls, then he definitely would not have been in a position to murder Holly and Jessica. Both sets of parents of Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, as well as other family members and friends of the girls, have all suffered so much heartache because of this man. They all had to endure the nearly two weeks' anguish of not knowing what had happened to both girls until finding out that they had been murdered. They also had to go through the court case because Ian Huntley didn't admit to killing them. He said that it had all been an accident. They had to listen to that stupid story that he came up with about the nosebleed and Holly falling into the bath and drowning and that Jessica wouldn't stop screaming, so he panicked. They had to go through all of that and all the while knowing really what, what had probably happened all along. 
And, you know, the fact that Maxine had been a teaching assistant at the school that um, the girls attended and that she obviously knew, didn't know beforehand, but knew afterwards that he had had some involvement, yet she was still trying to cover. And she got such a lenient sentence and she got let out early as well. And she's provided with a new identity and no doubt money given to her you know helped change her appearance and a new home and she's really in my opinion she's got away with quite a lot Ian Huntley hopefully will never see the light of day um he's had a few problems in prison luckily and uh you know although he might know how to play the system he is still a bit of a target so you never know but anyway a very sad case, but um, it had to be covered, really. Thank you for listening. The credits for this episode go to Wikipedia and the Telegraph newspaper group and a book called Beyond Evil, Inside the Twisted Mind of Ian Huntley, which is written by Nathan Yates and is a very good read.